This morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So if you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, open it up to Matthew 5. If you do not have a Bible and would like to use a paper copy, just simply slip your hand in the air and one of our ushers will get one to you. As you're turning to Matthew 5, I want to start off with a little bit of baseball news. If you hate baseball, just stick with me because ultimately it's not about baseball. It's a different illustration. But if you love baseball, you're going to love to be fascinated with this little tidbit. This week, something happened in Major League Baseball that has never happened before. The Pittsburgh Pirates and the San Diego Padres were playing a game. And the Padres pitcher, as you can see in the video, began his motion towards the plate. Well, there was a runner on third base who, right as he's pitching, begins to pretend that he's going to steal home. This causes the pitcher to speed up his motion, and he made just an ever-so-slight hop in his delivery. Immediately, the batter starts pointing, and and the whole pirate's bench just starts going, that's a balk, that's a balk. And so sure enough, the umpires call a balk. In baseball, a balk is an illegal motion towards the, the plate. Usually it means they stop their delivery as they're, they're bringing it in. But in this case, the pitcher sped up his delivery. Now, the Padres naturally argued, like, wait, 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 wait. He didn't stop his motion. He continued his motion towards the plate. There's nothing illegal about speeding it up. I mean, pitchers have been speeding up their delivery in the last couple of years. And so the umpires got together. They talked and realized, you know what? We think they're right. There wasn't a balk. When there's a balk, the penalty is that any base runners get to advance a base, which meant the runner on third got to go home. So because they reversed the call, the guy has to go back to third base. The guy that was on second has to go back, and the run is taken off the board. Well, naturally, the pirates complain. And so Clint Hurdle, the manager, walks out, and he begins, wait, 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 guys. You saw the little hop. You saw this, and he starts making his case. So the umpires get back together, and for the first time ever in Major League Baseball, without consulting instant replay, umpires reversed a reverse. They call the balk, they reverse the call, and then they reverse their reverse. Now, of course, this makes the Padres really upset. And Andy Green, their manager, walks out to have a, oh, what would we say, a discussion? And this is what the discussion looked like. Yeah, I, I think he's a little upset. Uh, I think it's safe to say he's, he's angry. And, and I mean, justifiably so. They didn't consult instant replay. Apparently you can't consult instant replay on a Bach. And so they're just making this decision. And it costs his team a run. The, the Padres have had a really, really rough season, start to the season. And so this, this was like adding salt into a wound. Andy just lost it. How many of you have lost it, like Andy? Yeah, probably most of our hands should be going up. In fact, probably all of our hands should be going up. It it might not be because you got mad at an umpire. It might have been because your kid was just being disobedient or being really childish. And, oh, you just, you'd lose it with them. Or maybe it's your spouse or, or your best friend who kind of betrayed you, and it just hurt deeply, and you just, you let them have it verbally. Or, or your boss, or, or your coworker, they did the absolute unthinkable, and you just, you just wanted to let loose. You just wanted to hit something. I wish I could say I've never experienced an Andy moment, 
but it's embarrassing to admit, yeah, I have lost it. And I don't like to admit it. There have been moments where, man, my voice is a a volume that I'm ashamed of. I, I have said things that I regret. And I will have to be honest that I have actually wanted to hurt someone. Thankfully, I haven't because I'm pretty small and they'd probably hurt me worse. But still, we've all had that kind of anger, haven't we? That's why today the words we're going to see from Jesus aren't just unexpected. They're going to actually be hard to hear because he's going to equate that type of anger (laughs) with murder. And we all know how grave and evil murder is. But just imagine that Jesus is saying, actually, that's how grave and evil your anger is. Here's the good news. As we look at these words of Jesus, what we're going to see is that he actually is inviting us into something deeper. That when we peer into it, it's going to actually release us from our anger. The way we're going to put it today is it's going to wreck our anger or even murder our anger. And it's going to free us up to then go and love like Jesus loved and actually have the type of relationship that I think each and every one of you wants to have. Now, if you're the type of person who struggles with anger, you're going to want to really listen in. But if you're the kind of person who goes, you know what, I don't really lose it that often. Guess what? You need to listen too. Because reports I read this week said that Andy Green, manager of the Padres, he's actually a very laid back guy. Rarely loses it. In fact, the San Diego Padre press has wishing that they'd see a little more life from this guy. Well, they finally saw some life. And we also express that same thing sometimes. And we need to find out what do we do in those moments And that's what we're going to see today. So let's pray. Oh, Father God, as we come into the scriptures, would you be our teacher today? Would you be the one to to open up the word? Let us see what we need to do in these moments of anger. Would would you rescue us from this so that, that your love would be what pours forth through us, that anger would not be our identity, instead that, that Jesus would that love would be the foremost aspect of who we are. And this would be seen in our marriages and it would be seen in our parenting and it'd be seen at work and it'd be seen in our neighborhoods and be seen when we hang out with friends so that you are the one who then gets the glory through our life and we don't detract through it, detract it through our anger. So Father, would you speak to us today? In Christ's name I pray, amen. Hopefully you are at Matthew chapter five. We've already heard it once. Um, Thank you to Leith. But let's read it again. Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And so, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Because truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, with this, uh, uh, the start of this section, we're starting a new little pattern here within the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, you have heard it said, 
And he starts with a very common phrase, uh, something that the people would have known. It was just part of the, the common way, the common knowledge of the day. But after he says, you have heard it said, I say to you, and he then takes that thought and begins to expand it, to like explode it. What he's doing is he's moving from the letter of the law to the heart of the law. Remember last week, we saw Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law. So every time he says, but I say to you, he's not trying to erase the law. He's actually trying to help them move from here's the letter of it to now here's the heart behind it. Because grace always takes us further. It always expands out. And that's what the gospel does for us. And that's what Jesus is exposing here in the Sermon on the Mount. And the first topic he decides to start with is murder. We see him right there start off with uh, the, the law. You shall not murder. Now, Jesus, a Jew, is speaking to a whole group of Jews. And they would have had the Ten Commandments memorized. I think if I walked out uh, to the street, just a random interview, I, and I said, hey, could you tell me the Ten Commandments? I think the majority of people couldn't do it. I, even in here, if I interviewed you, most of you are going, oh, I, I think I, I could get most of them. Now, if you don't know what they are, ask your kids, because they sing the song, The Ten Commandment Boogie, and they'll be able to sing the song for you, and you'll have to hear number seven. It's really hilarious. That's about adultery. Uh, and, and so ask them, and they can tell you what the Ten Commandments are. But even though most people couldn't tell me what the Ten Commandments are, I bet almost everyone could get at least one of them right. Do not murder. M murder, both in Jesus' day and our day, was a grave offense. It's considered one of the worst possible sins a person could commit. I had a conversation when I lived in Denver, Colorado. I was working at a flower shop, and we had this floral designer. She was actually from Russia. She had a doctorate in chemistry, but the American colleges and stuff wouldn't recognize her degree. And so she decided to stay home, raise her kids, was about sending them out of the house, and so she wanted to get a job. And she decided rather than go back into chemistry— she wanted to design uh, floral arrangements, and she was good. Like, you see the stuff in the magazines and the print ads, she was better than those. I mean, she, she was phenomenal. But one day, we end up in a spiritual conversation. She knew I was on staff at a church, and so she, somehow this comes up. And she says, well, I know that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm so, oh, wow, well, great, why? She says, well, because I've never murdered anyone. That was the idea, was that I have not committed the gravest offense that there is, so therefore, by default, God will let me into heaven. And I suspect that maybe some of Jesus' audience thought the same thing. They were good Jews. They knew the Ten Commandments. They upheld them. They never murdered anyone, so therefore, God would let them into his kingdom. And I think that's why when Jesus says, but I say to you, they would have suddenly been offended and shocked. Because he's saying, you've heard it said, do not murder. And they're all thinking, yep, got that one. But I say to you, if you are even angry with your brother, you too are liable to judgment. In other words, what Jesus is saying, if you've ever had anger towards someone, you've sinned. And so Jesus has just told his audience that they are all sinners. Nice, warm, fuzzy sermon so far, huh? Aren't you, aren't you really glad that you uh, came to church today? Now, if you know your Bible, you were probably pushing back a little bit. Because you're thinking, wait, hang on, Aaron. I remember a story of Jesus getting angry. 
Didn't, didn't he go into a temple and like cause a bunch of chaos? And I'd have to say, you know, you're right. He did. There, there was a story where Jesus goes into the temple and he sees these various people selling things. They were called money changers. And they were getting rich off of the Jewish people who were coming to the temple to worship God. Why was it, though, that Jesus came to earth? It was to repair the relationship between the creator and mankind. And so when Jesus walks into that temple and sees these people acting like a barrier to worship, it enrages him. The temple was supposed to be this place of prayer, but these people were practically stealing from others. And so Jesus begins to overturn tables to drive people out, almost like a Red Sea parting. He's creating a path for people to come in again and go and worship the Father. It was a righteous type anger. If you're a mom, you probably understand this type of anger. If anyone were to come against one of your children, you would rise up and want to protect them. I wish so much Jeff and Linnell were here today. They're, by the way, Jeff and Linnell are uh, in Illinois getting their last stuff. Uh, their house down there, everything's continuing forward. It's about to close, so that's good news. But they're getting their last things, bringing it back to get settled in their home in Shell Rock. So that's why Mike is, uh, and Jason are up here today to lead us in worship. But I wish they could be here today to tell you a little bit of their story with Haley. Because when we met them last October, when they came out here to candidate for the worship pastor position— they were sharing about Haley's arrival, and uh, they had been told while pregnant with Haley that she had, in, I think it's pronounced encephalocele. It's basically where a portion of the, the skull doesn't close up, and so the brain begins, a portion of it begins to develop outside the skull. And, and so they were told, hey, she's probably not going to make it. So probably what you need to do is terminate the pregnancy. And, and Jeff and Linnell just, they had this conviction that like, well, God's the one who's in charge of life, and so we're just going to let things run its course. And if she doesn't make it, then she doesn't make it and God takes her. But if she does make it, th then we have our child and we'll just work with her however we need to. And so sure enough, when she was born, a third of her brain was outside of her skull. And so you can see there in the picture the, the, the mass that was behind. And so they had to take her and, and do surgery to remove that. And then they put 40 stitches or staples in her skull to help close things up. And then they basically just handed her to Jeff and Linnell and said, Take her home and enjoy her while she lasts, because they were only giving her a couple of weeks to live. Well, a couple of weeks go by, and Haley was not only still alive, she, she was thriving. She was continuing to grow and develop like most little babies do. And so they needed to take her back to the hospital and have these staples removed. But Linnell said that the doctor wouldn't even go in and visit them. Like, just send in an intern to take the staples out. And in that moment, Linnell said she got angry. Not because she wished harm on the doctor, but angry because here's her daughter who's living, is wanting to thrive, and she needs these doctors to bring their education and their wisdom and their knowledge and apply it to her daughter to help her child have the best life possible. And they weren't giving her the attention. And so there was nothing in Linnell thinking, I'm going to go and murder those doctors. She wasn't secretly hoping they'd get in a car accident on the way home. She wasn't thinking that, you know, oh, if something bad happens to them, yeah, they deserved it. No, she just was fighting for her kid. All she wanted was justice. And that's what Jesus was doing in the temple. He was fighting for justice. He was trying to create the way for people to come back to God. And when he saw this obstacle in the way, it made him angry. But his goal was not to harm the money changers. In fact, Jesus goes and dies on the cross for the money changers so that their ways could be changed. 
All he's trying to do is create this path. And so the anger that Jesus displays in Matthew 21 in the, in the temple, it's very different than the type of anger he's describing here in the Sermon on the Mount. You, you see the type that he's describing, and it's in verse 22. Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And here it is. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. He's talking about a type of anger that looks at someone else and thinks the worst of them. That just lowers them down. And this is the type of anger that could actually be converted into murder. He's moving from the letter of the law to the heart of the law. But now you might be pushing back a second time. You might be thinking, okay, but Aaron, hang on. Isn't it okay, though, like you have this anger and just not bring it out? Like, isn't that okay? And, and I would say, well, yes, it's better. Because if you had that type of anger towards me, I would really prefer that you not act on it and hurt me and kill me. Okay, my family would probably appreciate that. So that is better. But again, he's moving from the letter to the heart. He's trying to open our eyes and see that he's getting to a deeper truth. It's not just the service. Hey, don't murder. There's something deeper going on. And that gets into a very key core doctrine of Christianity. And that doctrine actually starts all the way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis 1, we see the triune God talking to himself and says, let us make man in our image. And so God places this image on man. It, it, it's this will and, and personality. It's, it's intellect. It differentiates mankind from the rest of creation. But then we see in Genesis chapter 2 that mankind uses that will and personality and intellect and rebels against God and sins. And in that moment, when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, that image within them became blurred. It became distorted. And so even though Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, the image of God was not kicked out of them. It remained. Which means that every single human being that you interact with is an image bearer. They bear the Imago Dei. It's like a, a cattle rancher who, who brands his cattle. It's, it's like, you know, they put the brand on there. Like, this is my logo. This one says, this is mine. And, and so the image of God upon you is like God saying, this one's mine. Let, let me give you another illustration. I own two minivans. They're old. They're rusty. They're not cool. I've never had anyone. I, I, I don't even feel like I have to lock them. I, no one's going to steal them, okay? I, I only lock them if my computer's inside because my computer's probably more valuable than the car itself, right? However, I have a title that ha says that these rusty minivans belong to me. There are license plates on them that, that say the state of Iowa recognizes that these belong to me. Like, these are mine. I don't own any money on them. They're mine. So you do not have the right to take one of them and enter them into a crash-up derby. Now, they probably deserve a death by crash-up derby, but you don't have the right to take my minivan and do with it whatever you want. It's mine. That's what the Imago Dei is on humans. It says, this one is mine, and so you don't have the right to do to another human whatever you want. That's why you can't just go and murder them, because it's not yours. It's God's. That's why also 
that anger is considered a sin. Because when you have this type of anger against someone, where you're insulting them, you're thinking low of them, you are not giving them the value and the worth that is in them because of the Imago Dei. Now, yes, that Imago Dei might be blurred, it might be distorted, but it's still there. And they have inestimable worth. They are worth so much that Jesus went to a cross and died for them. So you don't have the right to go and say whatever you want, to treat them however you want, and have this type of anger against them because they belong to God. This is why abuse is so wrong. Even if it's your spouse, even if they're your kids, even if they look like you and act like you, ultimately the image that's on them is God. And so you don't have the right to go and abuse them however you want. This is why many Christians get really incensed over the topic of abortion. Because it, they believe that this is, a, this is a human being, that the image of God is on them. And so this is a sin. You are murdering the image of God. This is why I think we can't often put words to it. But we get so bothered when we learn about genocide. Because we think it's not just a sin against humanity. Ultimately, it's a sin against God. This whole idea of the Imago Dei is so core and crucial that it shows us why we can't just go and murder, but it also shows us why we can't just go and have anger and insult them because they matter. Jesus died for them, and he is wanting to take that broken and imperfect image and restore it into the perfect and complete image of Christ. So what do you do when you have this kind of murderous rage? But what do you do when you're really angry? You just want to hurt something. Thankfully, Jesus tells us. It starts off there in verse 23. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In other words, what Jesus is telling us to do is to seek reconciliation. Excuse me, I desperately need a drink. Mm, there we go. Um, when uh, Jesus is asked um, by someone, what is the greatest commandment in all of Scripture? All right, there are 613 commands of God given in the Mosaic Law. So he's asked, which one is the greatest of these? He can't give just one. It, he basically says, well, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So love God and then love your neighbor as yourself. Love others. He, he can't just give one because to him, these two are inexplicably linked. Your worship of God is affected by your relationships. And so if you are living in disharmony here, you can't go and deeply worship God here. He's saying to love God, you also have to love others. And, and that's why he even says when you come to the altar and you're coming to worship God, if you suddenly realize you have a problem with someone, Leave it. That seems strange because here you are to worship the most important being in the entire world. Like if anyone should come first, it should be God. But Jesus is saying your worship of God is affected by your relationship. So set it aside. Just leave it right there and go. Go and find them. Seek reconciliation. Make things right. Because as you honor the Imago Dei there, it then comes back to the altar and it aids your worship of God. That, that's why at Riverwood, as we talk about loving like Jesus loved, it's somewhat for you to go and be a blessing, but it's also for your spiritual growth. 
We, we want to see this image of God developed within you, that you would go in love, because it's part of you growing and becoming like Christ. This is what God wants for you. And so, yes, it's to send you out to be a blessing, but it's also to help you grow closer to Christ, because as you love others, it aids your worship of God. So, seek reconciliation. But when you seek reconciliation, you're also going to have to give an apology. And can I be honest? Americans stink at apologies. I know some people that they cannot even just say the words, I'm sorry. And I actually have a coworker who struggles to, to do that. We stink at it. Just watch next time like some celebrity or politician gets in trouble and they get caught doing something. Sometimes they get it right, but, but about half the time they don't. They, like they'll get up there and they'll say the words, I'm sorry. But when you parse the words, they're really saying, actually, I'm not. I had a completely different illustration that I was going to use today. But then pop culture provided the perfect one this week. Johnny Depp, who many of you know is a famous actor, he and his wife, Amanda Heard, were going to go to Australia. They were going to visit, but they just couldn't be parted from their little dogs, Boo and Pistol. Well, Australia has some very stringent laws saying you can't just bring any animal in. And Johnny and Amanda just couldn't stand the thought of being parted from Boo and Pistol, so they tried to sneak them in. Well, they got caught. And the penalty for trying to bring in illegal animals is 10 years in prison. Now, apparently the Australians really like Johnny Depp movies too, so they made a plea agreement so that more movies could get made. And the plea agreement was, if you will make a video apologizing for your actions and affirming the stand of Australia, we'll let you off the hook. And here is the video. Australia is a wonderful island with a treasure trove of unique plants, animals, and people. It has to be protected. Australia is free of many pests and diseases that are commonplace around the world. That is why Australia has to have such strong biosecurity laws. And Australians are just as unique, both warm and direct. When you disrespect Australian law, they will tell you firmly. I am truly sorry that Pistol and Boo were not declared. Protecting Australia is important. Declare everything when you enter Australia. <laughs> Thanks. Oh my goodness. Is that not the funniest, most awkward uh, apology you've ever seen? I declare everything when you enter Australia. I'm thinking, Johnny Depp, you are a great actor. At least pretend that you're sorry, okay? Like, just like, just put it on, even if you're not really. I mean, but he looks bored. Like, I'm being forced into doing this. That is not a good apology. The Ohio State University, just actually two weeks ago, re released a study where they've been looking at what makes an effective apology. And they actually came up with six steps. And, and here were their six steps. The first thing is to give an expression of regret. Now, Amanda said the words, I'm sorry, but Johnny sure didn't look like he regretted their decision. He just looked angry that they got caught, right? You've got to express regret, but, but not only that, you've got to explain what went wrong. Help them see that you really understand the situation and what took place, but not just, hey, here's what happened. You have to then acknowledge your own responsibility. So you've got to basically say, okay, here's what I did, and here's what I did wrong. That's when you then declare your repentance. That's when you say, I'm sorry. Now, as a kid growing up, I was taught to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? But according to the study, there's one portion you should insert in there. 
and that is to offer to repair. So, so basically to say, is there anything I can do to make this right? That right there shows that you are seeking to honor them. You're admitting your fault. And what can you do to have reconciliation with them? So that when you say, what can I do to make it right? And you say, will you please forgive me? They're much more likely to say yes and to mean it. When Jesus is describing the situation in verse 25, he says to come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Now, he's using the illustration of being in financial debt to someone. But when you have insulted someone, you are now also in their emotional debt. And he's saying, go the distance, go the length necessary, do what is required, do all six steps in order to have reconciliation. Fight for it. Fight for the harmony because you're honoring the Imago Dei in them and it's going to aid in your worship of God. So do what you need to. So seek reconciliation. But when you do, be ready to offer an apology. All right? Make things right. Um, this week on my Facebook feed, probably about two or three times, I saw this video and I thought this makes the illustration absolutely perfect of what reconciliation can do. So watch this video of Jamil and Andrew. It all went down on this block in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Back in 05, Jamel McGee says he was minding his own business when a police officer accused him of and arrested him for dealing drugs. You saying the officer made it up? Yeah, it was all made up. Of course, a lot of accused men make that claim, but not many arresting officers agree. So you phonied the report? I did. I falsified the report. This is former Benton Harbor police officer Andrew Collins. Were you just trying to chalk up an arrest? Well, basically, the start of that day, I was going to make sure I had another drug arrest. And in the end, you put an innocent guy in jail? Correct. Yeah. You lost everything. I lost everything. My only goal was to seek him when I got home and to hurt him. Really? That was my goal. Eventually, that crooked cop was caught, served a year and a half for falsifying many police reports, planting drugs and stealing. Of course, Jamal was exonerated, but he still spent four years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. Today, both men are back here in Benton Harbor, which is a small town, maybe a little too small. Hey guys, thank you. Last year, by sheer coincidence, they both ended up at Mosaic, a faith-based employment agency where they now work side by side in the same cafe. Oh, excuse me. And it was in these cramped quarters that the bad cop and the wrongfully accused had no choice but to have it out. And I said, honestly, I have no explanation. All I can do is say I'm sorry. And Jamel says that was all it took. That was pretty much what I needed to hear. Today, they're not only cordial. Saturday, we went to the trampoline park. They're friends. Uh, you know, we talk about life. Such close friends. Not long ago, Jamel actually told Andrew he loved him. And I just started weeping because he doesn't owe me that. Uh, he, I don't deserve that, you know? Did you forgive for his sake or for yours? No, for our sake. Not just us, for our sake. Jamel went on to tell me about his Christian faith and his hope for a kinder <laughs> mankind. He wants to be an example. 
So now he and Andrew give speeches together about the importance of forgiveness and redemption. I'll grab this one, set it over there. And clearly, if these two guys from the coffee shop can set aside their bitter grounds, what's our excuse? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Benton Harbor, Michigan. What Jesus is getting at and what you see so vividly portrayed in the video is that reconciliation will wreck your anger. That when you go the distance to seek reconciliation, it helps to erase that anger that wants to creep up in you. And then God does a beautiful work in you. Now, a couple other things that I think will help to, to murder your anger. It's kind of a one-two punch. The first punch is prayer. Do you know how difficult it is to remain angry at someone that you're praying for? When, when you consistently pray for someone, what happens is God continues to break your heart and you begin to see them like God sees them. Now, it doesn't excuse what they've done. Maybe they've done something really evil and grave against you. But rather than have this anger where you devalue the Imago Dei in them, it actually breaks your heart and you begin to see them like God sees them and you actually begin to have pity for them and you might actually begin to love them. So pray. Pray for them repeatedly and punch your anger in the face. The, the other thing that you can do is to forgive yourself. Because if you're like me, you've had some embarrassing moments where you absolutely lost it. You've punched a wall or, or you said something you regret or, or you, you acted just incredibly childish. And it's, it's not fun to admit. You've got to forgive yourself of your anger. In other words, you, in a sense, have to come to reconciliation with yourself. Because if you don't, it's almost like you're saying that Jesus' death on the cross wasn't quite enough for you. But what you have to realize is that when Jesus was murdered on that cross, your anger was murdered with him. And so you don't have to be angry. You don't have to let anger be your identity. You can let Jesus be your identity. So you've got to forgive yourself. So seek reconciliation. Seek it with others. Seek it with yourself. Because that reconciliation is going to wreck your anger. And when you let the gospel be the center of who you are, Jesus then murders your anger. And he opens up the avenues to rich, rich relationships. To the point that the people that you used to be angry with, the people you used to hold things against, you might actually be able to be like Jamil and say, I forgive you, and I love you. Because what this world needs is more people who will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived, and you can't do that if you're angry. So let the gospel wreck your anger by you seeking reconciliation. Father, I just pray that you would help us to do this, that you would empower us to release our anger. Lord, there, there are some people in here who have probably been deeply hurt they, they have been betrayed. There have been things said to them, and, and they just still hold on to this anger and bitterness. And it is a struggle to honor the Imago Dei that is in that person. So, Father, I pray that you would, you would change their hearts, that, that you would bring your gospel in, and, and you would soften their minds, soften their hearts, and that they might begin to see this person like you see them. Because, Jesus, if you could come to earth and die for a sinner like me, then forgive me of my sin, then, then who am I to think that I shouldn't forgive someone else? 
But Lord, there's also some of us in here that we've been the ones who've done the hurting. We have done some things. We have said some things that almost feel like they shouldn't be forgiven. Father, forgive us for for thinking we have the, the power and right to not seek forgiveness. God, it is so difficult to go to, to seek reconciliation. So that's why I just pray right now that you would give us the courage and the power, that you would give us a conviction to go and make things right. Even if the other person doesn't respond, that we would do our part to seek reconciliation. We would offer a true apology because we want to be close to you. We want to have your image restored within us. So God, give us that courage. Give us that strength. Help us to go the distance to seek reconciliation so that you can wreck our anger. And so in Jesus' name I pray for this.